Welcome to Smith Memorial Online. We're glad you joined us today. We're located in Collinsville, Virginia. At Smith Memorial, our motto is simple, follow Jesus. We'd like to encourage you to check us out online, www.smithmemorialumc.com. There you can find out more information about us, opportunities to serve, and ways to support this ministry through giving. We pray that God would add blessing this day to the hearing and the doing of God's Word. scripture reading today comes from Romans, the 10th chapter. I'm actually going to pick up in verse 1. Verse 1. Paul writes these words. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. I can testify they have a zeal for God, but it is not enlightened. For being ignorant of the righteousness that comes from God and seeking to establish their own, they have not submitted to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Moses writes concerning the righteousness that comes from the law, that the person who does these things will live by them. But righteousness that comes from faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will ascend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up. From the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you on your lips and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For one believes with the heart and is so justified. And one confesses with the mouth and is so saved. The scripture says, no one who believes in him will be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all. And is generous to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is the word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O Lord, we are a righteous kind of people. But unfortunately, that righteousness 
typically starts with self. Self righteous people. People who long to see our own accomplishments become the accolades by which we receive because we earned them. Help us to see, O God, that that is not the gospel. That is the law. The law by which you came to be its end. Help us to see the good news this day. That that which was once far off is so close to us as to be on our tongues and in our hearts. Place the cross before me, let none see me but you and your grace alone. Amen. I will never forget his name. I'll never forget his story. I will never forget the day. The day that started with every 90s child alternative Christian music dream. A live concert with the Christian rock band Skillet. I'll never forget it. The guitars were melting faces with their riffs. The drummer laid a steady beat that you couldn't help but to jump and bob your head to. The crowd was electric, to say the least. Looking back on it now, I couldn't tell if the spirit was moving or whether or not it was just the product of 5,000 teens packed within elbow room of each other while going through puberty. Everyone was lively. And after Skillet played their set, he came out. Ken Freeman, the evangelist for the day. Ken had quite the story. A story that if I was to be honest, I could not resonate with. But it was a story that scared the heck out of me nonetheless. And typically speaking, when you're inside of a church and someone's saying something to you and you are terrified, you tend to pay a little bit more attention. My mother was a drunk and heroin addict, he said. She was abusive to me and my siblings, and the men she would bring to the house were as equally as abusive in all the ways you can imagine. He told us how on one night, his mom came home and she passed out in the middle of the floor. And as he looked upon her seemingly lifeless body, he saw it as an opportunity. He went to the kitchen, he got a knife, he held it over his mother's motionless body vowing to protect himself and his siblings. At this point, I was pretty terrified. I was 13 years old. He added that as he sat there for what seemed like an eternity, he eventually dropped the knife, he ran, and at the age of 15, he became homeless. 
Now we know the story has to get better. All stories do. All stories need a good bow tie to be on top. So he told us how he would go from one friend's house to the other friend's house. And we came to one of his friend's house and his friend drug him to church. He told him there would be pretty girls and pizza there. And you all can fill in the rest of the story. The preacher that was at the church delivers one heck of a sermon. He offers Jesus as a remedy for this broken young man's one-way ticket to hell. Because, you know, it wasn't bad enough he was born into hell at home. His heavenly father was perfectly content sending them there for the rest of his life. Accept Jesus or go to hell, the preacher said. Of course, Ken accepts it, and here he is now speaking to 5,000 young youth. At the conclusion of his testimony, he had us look at the person we were sitting directly next to and to look at them directly in their eyes. And he said, look at that person and say this, I am your friend. And friends, don't let friends go to hell. Friends, I was sitting next to the prettiest girl in my youth group. When she said those romantic words to me, it felt like she was asking me out on Christian Mingle. I was positive. If she didn't want me to go to hell, by golly, I wasn't going. But the question is how? Well, that was the easy part of Ken's story. Ken said, just to repeat after him, Jesus, I confess you with my mouth as Lord and believe in my heart that you raised Jesus from the dead. I am a sinner and I need to be saved. Thank you for saving me. And after we said that prayer, we did the little dance. You all know the dance. You've been there before. Now with every head bowed and every eye closed, which really meant now three quarters of the congregation was squinting their eyes to see who had raised their hand when it was asked to. Of course, I've just been asked out by the prettiest girl. I raised my hand. I wanted people to know I was saved, man. And then it was over. It was great. I felt very accomplished. I prayed that prayer like a winner. And the next day, I was rewarded like a winner with a trip to King's Dominion. What a way. What a way. It was all that simple. And yet, looking back, that narrative lacks the power of what God really did on the cross for us. You see, Paul, speaking to the Roman church, writes this passage, the passage we read today, on the heels of speaking about the law and one's justification by it. What I mean by that is to say, Paul is writing to say whether or not a person has the ability to be made right by doing the law. In fact, the passage that we read, starting in verse 8, is a verbatim statement of Moses in Deuteronomy 30, 12 through 14. In this passage, the Deuteronomy 30, what we find is the Israelites who left Egypt are now all dead in the wilderness from wandering for 40 years because they needed to be punished 
for not living up to the fidelity in the relationship to God. Those that came out of Egypt are now scattered dead in the wilderness. And here is Moses looking at their children. The children who are now getting ready to cross over into Canaan, the promised land. And before they cross over the river, Moses calls them to a renewed covenant with God. God has been made known. And God will protect you. But how will God protect you? For Moses, the answer is easy. God will protect you through the law. God's word has been brought near to you. God's law has been revealed to you. In other words, Moses is saying, when you go into the promised land, don't be like your parents. God has told you what He wants from you. And if you do it, you will live a prosperous and righteous life. As a matter of fact, Moses thinks that the law is so important that a few verses after this in Deuteronomy, Moses has the Levitical priests read the entirety of the law out loud to the people. The word of God was the law. It was to be lived by. It was life. It was their hope. It was their protection. Those who abide by the law shall live. And those who disobey the law would reap the consequences of such actions. This should sound a little familiar to most Christian evangelism today. Those who abide by the law shall live. And those who disobey the law will reap the consequences. You see, Paul understands this context when he's speaking to his church in Rome, after all, Paul says he is a Jew of all the Jews. Paul gets the law. But he also gets that his life has been totally wrecked by Jesus Christ. Who Paul understands as being the official word of God. So Paul writes to his church in Rome, a church that's made up of both Jews and Gentiles, people outside of the law, people without a hope. He writes to both of these people, he says it's this, he says, it should be clear that those who live by the law shall be saved, those who do not live by the law shall be cursed. This is the law, it's always been the law. You don't get to pick and choose which parts of the law you want to follow. It's a zero-sum game, all in, all out, your choice. But as you know, that's not what Paul says. Paul doesn't say that. What Paul says is this. Paul doesn't say that, um, Paul doesn't say that, and this is why. Those little prayers, prayers like I was asked to pray and then raise my hand to, are such a disservice to the radical nature of, of the message that Paul proclaims. What Paul says in Romans is this, it used to be hard for you. 
It used to be so hard. It used to be so hard. You used to have to live with the guilt of not measuring up because you failed over and over and over again. You used to have to fear that if you didn't check all the boxes and dot all the I's, that hell was waiting for you just around the corner. And that was just if you were a Jew. Gentiles didn't even have a starting point. They were already so far gone as outsiders of the faith. They were hopeless. And yet, Paul says, not anymore. The law is no longer the case, for Christ has come to be the end of the law, lest anyone think their righteousness, their correctness before God is of their doing. For indeed, it's not our doing, but God's doing alone. Therefore, the salvation that you all have been working so hard for, for so long to attain, it's no longer as hard as it once seemed to be. In fact, when the law says you need to do this, the gospel message is that you really don't have anything left to do at all. Nothing is there for you to do that hasn't already been done for you in, through, by Christ. That is the gospel. There is nothing left for you to do. It has already been done. And if you really want something to do, if you really want something to do, then Paul says, do this. Just confess with your mouths that there is nothing for you to do. Just confess with your mouths that it's already been done on your behalf. Confess. Jesus is Lord, Lord of the earth, Lord of the cosmos, Lord of my wrecked life. Put your trust, not in your own works and your own capabilities, for that was always the downside of the law. Instead, Paul says, put your trust in the ability of Christ to do for you what you could not do for yourself. And while we're at it, the message, this message, it's not just for the Jews anymore. It's not even just for the Gentiles. The good news of this message is that it's for everyone. All people. All people. This is the basics of our faith. All people died in Christ through the cross. Not of their own wantingness, but of God's love for them. Period. Nothing else. And all, in God's eyes, really does mean all. There is no longer distinction, Paul says, between Jew, Greek, slave, 
free. Because those things, those markations, they don't really matter anymore. They're only good if the law still rules the day. But guess what? It doesn't. The message of Paul in Romans is a stark contrast to friends don't let friends go to hell evangelism. Paul's message is way more radical than this. Paul is saying, remember how you all were headed to hell in a handbasket? Because you couldn't keep the demands of the law? Remember that? Remember your religious coping mechanisms that you once employed because it was too tiresome to think about your own shortcomings? Those mechanisms where you really weren't as great of a religious person as you thought you would be? So instead of thinking about yourself and what you needed to do, you just kind of pointed your fingers at other people's shortcomings? Remember that? Yeah, God's done with that. God doesn't have time for that anymore. God doesn't have time for religious people to point fingers at who's in and who's out. That merit system, storing up treasures for yourself in heaven, it's gone. Only one merit, only one perfect obedience, only one sufficient sacrifice counts. Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. This is the good news. Do not distort it. Do not add to it, for adding to it is to heap the law. Jesus has made right what has been wrong, and that message doesn't depend on your lip service or your own obedience. Jesus has done it all. Nothing is really required of you anymore. Nothing but trust that all that was needed to be done is done. And anyone who trusts that will be saved. Full stop. Period. Grace. I offer this to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.